0: Good afternoon. Happy Labor Day. It's weird Bizarre looking. Weather. Out. <laughs> Bizarre weather. Look, we're sitting here. We're looking out the window. Yep. And we're usually just inundated with vehicular traffic over here. It looks like a ghost town.
1: Oh, it is. Outside a-
0: Polar Park right now. Oh, there's a car.
1: Yeah. A Hi. Car, car just drove into the now? lot.
0: Oh, they're <laughs> looking at the building. They might be listening right now. Greg and Brett with you on this uh, Monday afternoon Labor Day. Hope you're having a fine holiday if it is, in fact, one for you.
1: Yeah, it, uh, the weather has been certainly bizarre. We've had some pounding rain here. As we look to the north-northeast, it is predominantly blue sky. There's clouds way off in the distance, and I think there was sunshine also to the south. I didn't get a chance to look out the west window, so I don't know what lies to the the west of us.
0: Not even 20 minutes ago to the south, it was black as night. Really? Oh, Yes. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Hey, uh, it's going to be cool the next couple of days. I know it's not in our official forecast right now, Brett, mm-hmm. but uh, Environment Canada, Thursday, calling for 25, 26 Friday, 28 on Saturday, and 30 on Sunday, sunny all four wow. days. So, uh, yeah, well, just a couple of days they are kind of a blip on the radar here. So, don't worry.
1: Yeah. Summer's that's... not over yet. No, no. Technically, it, it it's, uh, I mean, I know as far as uh, I like to mark things in movie seasons, being one of the couch potatoes, the summer movie season is now over, but right. we still have three weeks of summer, so... Lots of nice weather ahead of us.
0: You bet. Later on the show, we'll talk about MS and uh, that disease that so many Manitobans deal with. And if you don't have it, you are a family member or friend of someone that has it. We'll, we'll talk about a new study that shows uh, five top ways that those dealing with MS can manage that disease. Uh, some very good advice in there, in my estimation. We'll, we'll share that with you starting at 1.30. And at 2 o'clock, a Vancouver author... Who is releasing the second in a series of psychological thrillers? I, I, that's more your speed, I think, Brett.
1: The, well, yeah, I, I I do like the the thriller kind of stories, but what really caught my eye about this in the sales pitch uh, from our friend uh, Mickey Mickelson in Calgary, who pitches us many authors, is that this woman can tell she's going to delve into her in-depth research on the mind of a serial killer. So that seems like a pretty dark place to go. So i I'd, I'd like to know what the process is for that, you just want to write a story but in order to do that, you gotta go to a pretty dark spot, so that is what I'm looking forward to Uh, we'll learn a bit about her process and uh, see if maybe we need to refer her to uh, Dr. Cyrus or (laughs) Carolyn (laughs) Klaassen
0: What better time to do that than two o'clock on a Monday afternoon? Anyway, that and uh, much, much more, including a replay of our conversation with James West from uh, Friday afternoon uh, from Houston, Texas. Uh, To kick things off, of course, uh, many people crafted their Sunday afternoon around the broadcast of the Winnipeg Blue Bomber Saskatchewan Rough Rider game, the Labor Day quote unquote classic. It was a classic non-show-up by the Blue Bombers, even though they <laughs> had an opportunity to win the game in the last quarter. They w- they went down and uh, two times got into what they call the red zone and were very close to scoring touchdowns. One uh, blatant Darvin Adams drop at the back of the end zone, and then a Matt Nichols interception kind of uh, snuffed out any opportunity for the Bombers to complete another magical uh, comeback. So, uh the return game, of course, goes Saturday afternoon at IGF. We want you to be there. We want you to make lots of noise. But one of the big topics of conversation, Brett, for Blue Bomber fans right now is the fact that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were prepared to uh, go to great lengths to slow down what's known in football as the hurry-up offense. I don't want to talk down to anyone, but I also don't want to leave anyone out of the discussion who might be a casual football fan. Hurry up offense is when, you know, traditionally an offense will go into a huddle where they will relay the play to the entire offense and then they will go out and they will start their play in a, in a certain timely fashion. A hurry up offense, they don't go into a huddle. And part of that is to get into a rhythm on offense and it's to knock the rhythm of the defense off because defenses will substitute players based on what players are on the field for the offense. And if you go quickly, the defense can't change. So that's an opportunity for the Blue Bombers. They've taken advantage of that uh, in the last half dozen games or so moving very quickly. Well, to balance this out, the Rough Riders were faking injuries at a feverish pace, I would say, as as often as I've ever seen it. Three for sure, three blatant ones, including one where one of the Rough Riders players was uh, televised, uh, basically biting his tongue, sticking out his tongue, trying not to laugh at yeah. his Oscar-winning performance. And so the Blue Bombers took notice, and in the aftermath of the game in the post-game interview. uh, Bob Irving and Doug Brown asked Matt Nichols about how he felt about what the Rough Riders were up to, and he made a correlation to another very popular sport.
2: How frustrated were you when they nullified your ability to go hurry up after those first downs where you guys really run up the line of scrimmage, get another play in, and conveniently, there's a defensive player, Hurt, who comes off the field for three plays. Turns out he's fine. Comes back onto the field. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone can see what's going on. I don't, I don't know if I need to say much more than that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to go play soccer? Play soccer. Um, this, you know, I don't think there's any room in the game for it, and uh, um, you know, it is what it is. I, it's, know, a, it's, it's a, cheap trick, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, at the same time, you know, those aren't the reasons that no. that we lost the game. So i you know, I'm right. never gonna, I'm never gonna blame that. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know. That's a big yeah. part of your offense,
1: yeah. right? The ability to do that and and prevent yeah. your opponent from substituting and putting them on their heels, and, yeah, and all mean, of a sudden that's that's taken away from you.
2: Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, especially, I mean, when it's so obvious. I mean, yeah. if, if you want to, if you want to, you know, if it's if it's something that you know at least looks like it, but you know, one of my, you know, I consider a friend and a guy that you know I had a lot of respect for, uh, you know, Eddie Steele. Uh, you know, cramping on the third play of the game or fourth play of the game is pretty unrealistic. So mm-hmm. um, it is what it is, though. And like I said, that's not the reason we lost the game. But, um, you know, it is It is a big part of our, our offense and the momentum that we get. So, um, you yeah, know, whatever.
1: Just very quickly want to mention we're just getting texted at 204-780-6868. Lights are out at Bishop Grandin and St. Anne's Road. And at St. Anne's, it looks like people are trying to figure out how to make it a four-way stop. That's a big intersection to suddenly become a four-way, so that's awkward. As well as Bishop and Lakewood Boulevard. Lights are out there. All traffic lights out at Bishop and St. Anne's and Bishop and Lakewood. Proceed at a four-way stop.
0: 204-780-6868 if you're encountering uh, any sort of traffic issues. We will uh, pass those along to your fellow travelers. You can give us a call here as well. 204-780-6868. It's kind of a different day here at 680 CJOB as many of you are off and we are here and uh, the information does continue for you I played that more of that clip than I normally would Brett Mm -hmm. Uh, just because Matt Nichols does go on to say that's not why we lost the game he wanted to make it very clear that he wasn't making excuses about the outcome of the game and tying it to what the Rough Rider players were doing he just wanted to make his feelings clear I thought he did a pretty good job comparing it to soccer players Mm -hmm. the Magic's FIFA water We've seen that before where, where soccer players are on the verge of absolute convulsion. <laughs> their ankles look broken and the trainer comes out, sprinkles a little bit of water on uh, affected body part and they spring back to life and they're they're suddenly okay in an effort, of course, to, to draw some sort of yellow card or red card against their fellow players. So, it, you know, Jeff calls it a time-honored tradition. A rule has been put in place years ago. If you are injured, you have to be out for three plays, and that's supposed to make you think twice about feigning injury. Uh, but yesterday, it was definitely part of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders game plan to slow down the Blue Bombers. So we want to know from you,
1: is it a big deal? Are you angry about it or not? 204-780-6868. I was listening to the game on the way home. As promised, you said, are you going to turn it on? I know you don't really, you not know, a big sports fan, but I did turn on the, the game after I left Kingswood because we had been sitting in the Clubhouse, watching some of the game, watching the Riders just take it to the Bombers in that first quarter. And uh, hearing Bob and Doug talk about these injuries, these fake injuries, Bob was, they were both scratching their head, like, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. So, of course, if they think it's unusual, naturally, I'm going to think, well... I don't know that I've ever heard of. Yeah, over well, heard heard the
0: of. barometer, right? Yeah, for the mean, casual bomber fan, right?
1: You know, floppers in soccer. I, and I, as a basketball fan, I, yes. will, I can think of one, Vlade Divox, who was renowned for his flopping ability. <laughs> Good recall. Yeah. Well and done. So I know that flopping is a part of sport, but I, I don't, I've never quite seen it to this effect in the Canadian Football League. And I. I guess it's a strategy like any other strategy, but it doesn't seem, to me, it doesn't seem sportsmanlike. I don't, I think you you go out there and just win the game as... Clean as you can, and I know that that's such a naive thing to say, but yep. I don't, I don't like dirty tactics in sport. Yeah, no, Cause I- it, that's it's in sport. It's being a good
0: sport. It's supposed to be sportsman-like, yeah. right? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I hey, uh, if the Bombers were doing it to combat Saskatchewan, I think the fans might have a different uh, approach on it, as usual or as per uh, likely, the home team gets a little bit of a buy on this. And Deron Carter. The uh, flamboyant and outstanding wide receiver with the Saskatchewan Rough Rider says that uh, Blue Bomber fans spit on him prior to the game. He called the Blue Bomber fans the worst fans in the league. Can't wait to kick y'all's ass. So uh, it's on like Donkey Kong in between uh, at least one of the Saskatchewan Rough Rider players and the Blue Bomber fans. Uh, also uh, a picture. I uh, haven't found any video yet of a couple of Blue Bomber fans trying reaching over as Gaynor the Gopher, the mascot of the Rough Riders, passing by. They tried to grab his head. Mm. And so that obviously didn't go over very well with uh, many Rough Rider fans. So, uh, And I know there's a ton of Rough Rider fans. We'll be at IGF on Saturday. If you've been mistreated in the past, I'd like to hear from you. GMAC at CGOB.com or Brett at CGOB.com. We'd be interested in interviewing you and also want to let you know the uh, Coaches Show with uh, Bob Irving. And Mike O'Shea goes on, uh, regardless of the holiday, at 7 o'clock today at 680 CGOB. Now, another issue was noise. Keith is on the
3: line.
1: 204-780-6868. Keith, what do you have yeah. to say,
3: sir? Well, I watched the game, and it became, like I said, it just became obvious that they were taking our hurry-up offense completely out of the game. It was time after time after time. Anytime a little bit of momentum going... I was amazed that the refs didn't finally say, okay, delay of game. And next time it'll be delay of game. And all I would already taken is for one ref to throw a penalty flag down for delay of game. And they would have taken that taken that off the field. I don't know why the refs <coughs> allowed this catch them to do it. You're right. It was like uh, Nichols was right on the money. It was just like watching a bunch of soccer players. And well, well, and, well,
1: and Keith, listening to the, to Bob Irving talk about it on the broadcast, he said, well, listen, I mean, the refs can't say we know you're not hurt, and they reference the fact that there is a there is a rule in place where if you are feigning injury or what have you, that you need to be removed from the field for at least three plays. So it's not up to the ref to decide whether or not someone is actually hurt, because what if that person is legitimately injured? It's, the ref doesn't know. Okay, so when
3: the, so when, when Saskatchewan comes and does it again, and we're going to simply say, "Boy, this is just a." Uh, that putting out there. they they can't they can't play every three down football
0: you know without taking a knee yeah it's going to be interesting i I don't know what they can do and I did a little bit of a search on the rules myself Keith and um I was yelling at the TV saying you know give them a delay of game but I, I don't know under what premise that they can do that they've taken care of that whole thing in terms of faking injury uh, with a three-play rule, and so obviously you don't want your best players doing that. Uh, somebody here on Tech suggesting the Bombers should do the same teams, same thing to Saskatchewan, see how they like it. Uh, after Sunday's performance, I'm not sure much is going to slow down the Saskatchewan offense, but we'll see. It's making for a lot of conversation amongst the fans uh, leading into this Saturday's Banjo, banjo Bowl for sure.
3: Well, oh, and aside from you know, Saskatchewan's got a good got an offense. We we kind of helped them along by giving them a couple of interceptions fill these low momentum down for us. But uh, you know, we got to give Nichols credit. Like he he out threw uh, Glenn. He just he just he just couldn't finish the job this time. Yeah,
0: so, you got it, uh, Keith. I
3: got a feeling, I got a feeling we we're going to give uh, the Riders a good old fashioned spanking. Uh, get in the
0: Badger Bowl. All right, Keith, I like the way you think. The coaches show tonight at uh, 7. Lots of people, including this text here. Here we go again, Bombers. One loss leads to many more. They just can't sustain. Used to it anyway. Hope they go back to the toilet. So maybe we can finally get rid of the sad sack coach. <laughs> wow. Mike O'Shea. We'll have to highlight this one for him for 7 o'clock tonight when he comes
1: (laughs) in the studio. This is the chair he sits in. We're going to pause and have a look at your forecast, see if we have any more wild weather to expect as Labor Day continues on 680 CJOB. And another one of the atmospheric conditions that have been affecting uh,
0: Winnipeg uh, over the weekend and into today were... uh, were smoky conditions. The smoke was lingering over Winnipeg Monday morning. According to Environment Canada, Brett, it will not last long. If it hasn't already dissipated, an approaching cold front is set to clear. Most of the smoke that has been pushing through the city and experts assure the smoky skies won't have a negative effect on air quality. The province has seen more than 500 forest
1: fires this season and smoke is beginning to drift across the entire province. So we have been talking about football we've been talking about the dirty well whether or not it's dirty or not is is a matter of opinion the Saskatchewan Rough Riders flopping against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh in the Labor Day Classic a game in which the Winnipeg Blue Bombers lost and another factor that you were about to discuss before we spoke to our friend Keith it was noise yeah noise uh the television uh,
0: broadcast. Uh, they are measuring, did measure on Sunday, Saskatchewan noise levels. We'll be doing the same thing on Saturday. More about that throughout the week. We are going to do everything we can to encourage you to make as much noise as you can. And you know what? We're prepared to do that via whatever means necessary, cowbells, pennies and coffee cans, whatever we can get into IGF within the rules. Do they allow vuvuzelas? Uh, let's find out. Let's put that on our list. Breakfast with the Bombers tomorrow. Do they allow <laughs> vuvuzelas? Uh, whatever we need to do. Uh, they capped out at Mosaic at uh, 104 decibels, which sounds pretty impressive. Uh, can Winnipeg be louder? The loudest record uh, for sporting event in a stadium is 142.2 at Kansas City's Arrowhead Stadium. That's crazy. Really, really loud. Uh, and here's a story. I have some audio here of some uh, a story comparing some of the NFL stadiums and the effect and the comparisons to uh, other things that emit a lot of noise. You know what? We don't even have time for that audio right now. We're up against the clock.
1: I'll just quickly say, well, we'll get it in later. Okay. We'll find time to, to, to sneak this in later. But I will say that uh, there was... was once upon a time, I where I would go to where I was a sports fan, and I would go to things. I used to go to the Winnipeg Thunder games a lot when they came here, and uh, the Winnipeg fans. I know that they are renowned for being yeah notoriously loud. loud. Yes, so it yeah, I I can't see why we can't defeat Saskatchewan in the noise factor. When the one game that I went to earlier this year, that was, unfortunately, it was a bad game. Bombers got killed by Calgary, but when the Bombers were in the game. It was loud, and it was exciting, and it was deafening, the noise. So I can't imagine how loud it's going to be on Saturday with a sellout crowd.
0: Are you uh, remembering the very official noise meter they used to have on the... Scoreboard at the Winnipeg Arena with the with the green moving into the red and and back into the green just a little bit and then it's exploding into red and yellow. Yeah, very official noise meter that they used to have. Real quick on text before we uh, break for global news and weather. I just want to get your comments in here really really quick here. Robert says they should up the time the player is off the field for those injuries. I don't watch soccer anymore partly because of this BS. The lack of sportsmanship ruins the game. Keep your text message coming. Uh, we will talk about this more as we make our way throughout the afternoon, including a really cool story about what Iowa football fans there started a new tradition on Saturday, and we must share that with you. It's very heartwarming.
1: It's all coming up, starting after one well, after one thirty. A new toolkit. For MS, we'll discuss that after global news at one thirty on six eighty CJOB. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, with you on this Monday afternoon. Happy
0: Labor Day. We're talking about the smoke, Brett. Uh, I think we still have our air conditioning on, and I can actually smell the smoke in different parts of the building. Today. You're
1: right. You're right. I, when I walked into the kitchen, I thought I could smell the smoke. It's this—it was a it smell typically associated with when they fire up the furnace for the first time yeah, in this very building. good
0: analogy. Absolutely, a little bit more acrid—is that the word? Sure. Yeah, or acrid, is that the word, Fort J, that I'm looking for? I
4: have no idea.
0: Just just not knowingly. uh, 204. Yes, Yes, that's the word. Sixty-eight, sixty-eight. Uh, by the way, uh, hey Mick, uh, great uh, loyal listener. Uh, Mick texted me at 780-6868 What's the story behind those melon-headed rider fans? Saskatchewan grows amazing wheat, canola, and flax, but watermelon is not a cash crop in Western Canada. A fan in green with a sheaf of wheat on his head would make more sense. Must be an alcohol-induced fashion statement in Regina. I sent him the history of the watermelon heads of Saskatchewan. He's read it. He's so thanks for enlightening me. If you're interested in that story, and wondering why Saskatchewan uh, Rough Rider fans wear the watermelons, uh, uh, GMAC at cjb.com, Brett we will send you that global story about it. It's kind of a a neat story, but we are going to shift gears dramatic here for the next half an hour.
1: We want to talk about MS. We get a news release. A couple of weeks ago that caught our attention and it says, did you know that Canada has the highest rate of multiple sclerosis or MS in the world? with one in every 340 Canadians living with the disease. And this, what they've come up with here, the MS Society of Canada, they have, they're have they offering some innovative wellness solutions for Canadians suffering from multiple sclerosis. So we have two guests that we want to introduce to you. One is joining us over the phone. His name is Daryl Hominuk, Director of Programs and Services and Government Relations for the MS Society of Canada. He joins us on the phone. Daryl, hello there, sir. Hi, folks. How are you? Doing well. Thank you very much for joining us. And in studio, we have Heidi Pilipuke, a young adult who is living with MS. Thank you so much. And did I say your name correctly?
5: That was the best pronunciation I've heard in a long time. Very so you good. Did very good. Where's the applause?
4: <laughs>
0: Thank <meter>? you.
1: That's <laughs> great. Good job, Brad. <laughs> Never mind the noise meter. You got the applause meter. <laughs> Yay. So we. Uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this, and we don't want to belabor this point, but I know, Greg, you have a personal tie to MS.
0: Yeah, my my sister, my uh, my only sister, deals with this, uh, and uh, in the last few months, it's been it's been reactivated. Uh, What's what's the more appropriate word for that, Heidi? When you when you're having a, I guess it's a relapse, right?
5: Yeah, and um, you can say you're in remission as well. Um, If it's an uh, an old symptom that's uh, coming back, um, it would be a be a relapse.
0: Um, there are different types of MS, right? And, and is that the type that you have? Maybe talk about uh, your experience when you were diagnosed and, and how this affects your life as uh, Daryl waits patiently. We'll get to you in a sec, Daryl.
5: Sure. Um, so my story started actually a long time ago. Um, when I was 12 years old, I was getting some really weird symptoms. I, um, I looked like Jean Chrétien for a month. I had facial paralysis, Uh, Then it went to my whole left side of my body. um, And I played lots of sports and stuff, so everyone was really concerned because I kept limping all the time, like when I was running track or playing um, basketball or volleyball. Um, And then the month after that, I lost my vision in my right eye completely. Um, And that was kind of a trigger for the doctors to think that's like a typical MS symptom. And even though I was really young, I guess I was lucky that I had so many symptoms in a short amount of time
0: did that, you just say that you were lucky that you had?
5: And just, just that some people, if their symptoms are like really far apart, it's often hard to make an MS diagnosis if it's so spread apart, you can't, it's not very, it's kind of atypical. So, yeah, only now can I say that I was lucky just because I've seen lots of people who have been kind of on the waiting game, like, do I have MS, do I not? And just the idea when you're actually diagnosed is a little bit relieving, be like, okay, there's a name for it, I'm diagnosed, they know, so... It's a little bit soothing, even though it doesn't affect how you will, like, progress in your life. It's just, okay, there's a name for it, so they know now, so that feels good. But still, you need to remember there's responsibility or just there's ways you need to make sure that you're living your life the best way you can. Um, And it's when you get out of that kind of reactive state and you actually want to take an active role in your life, it makes a huge difference. But that can take a long time to get there. So yeah.
0: So fast forward for us a little bit. You're 12 when you get diagnosed, and uh, you're very accomplished in your life. uh, But you've you've had some false starts. Talk about uh, the big false start that you had uh, younger in your uh, 20s.
5: Yeah. So okay. So I say when I was 12, the doctor asked me, "What do you want to be when you when you grow up?" And I said, "I wanted to be a veterinarian." And they're like, "Oh, what about a secretary?" And then I'm like, ah, no, I don't want to be a secretary. I this, wanted- is a <laughs> this is what to the doctor said to This is what the doctor said. And I'm like, why would you say that to me? And they said, well, it's very likely if you live the, your life the way you're living it right now, playing lots of sports and you're super active in things, you'll probably be in a wheelchair by age 20. So that's what I'm told at, eight, at age 12. So I kind of was like, you know, screw you. Screw all the naysayers. I'm going to do this. And I, like, I killed myself through university. I killed myself. Like I just, I wanted to prove that I could do it. And I did. I got into vet school the first time I applied for it. I was young when I got in, didn't even finish my degree yet. And I'm like, I did it. Like, I made it. I did it. Until when I was in vet school and my body literally fell apart. I I was like, physically, the MS can affect me. It can take away. I can't walk really well sometimes. My one side is weaker than the other side. And I'm like, physically, it can take things from me. They can't take my brain. Like, I always have my brain. It's fine until I lost my memory when I was in vet school, and that was when I hit, like, rock bottom.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, Daryl Hamanek is on the line. He's Director (laughs) of Programs and Services and Government Relations for the MS Society of Canada. And uh, Heidi's story is uh, far from complete. We've got lots more to talk to her. But, uh, Daryl, Heidi said something interesting there at the beginning of her her recollection of her experience and, and that was the fact that there was an expectation set uh, of what she might deal with. Has that changed over the years in terms of the advice? If uh, Heidi was 12 years old now would she get different advice from her doctor uh, sharing that diagnosis with her?
6: Absolutely. Um, there have been many advents in the treatment of MS over the last 20 years. If we go back to 1995 there were no disease-modifying therapies available to people with a diagnosis of MS. Now there are 14 that have been approved by um, Health Canada. So it's up to each person in collaboration with their health care team to determine which therapy is right for them. And this therapy can range from um, pharmaceutical to uh, various uh, wellness programs.
1: So this is a disease of the... It's an autoimmune disease of the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord. Uh, so, I mean, this is, a, this is not something where... It, it, there's a one treatment, or if you get it, that you can expect this to happen. It affects everybody in different ways.
6: Well, exactly. The severity of MS, its um, progression and specific symptoms uh, can't be predicted at the time of the diagnosis. Much like no two snowflakes are alike, the same could be said about MS. It's not a one-size-fits-all.
0: Well, there are different types of MS. Is that fair to say, Daryl?
6: Uh, There are. There are five types of MS. The most common is relapsing remitting. Um, People can move into a secondary progressive MS stage, but there's also primary progressive, uh, progressive relapsing, which is quite rare, but 5% of the population will experience that. And uh, there's also one known as clinically isolated syndrome.
0: So we also mentioned the, the geographical disparity, if you like, uh, between Manitoba, Saskatchewan in particular in Canada, there's a place in Scotland or an area of Scotland where MS is a particularly high. Are there are the, uh, other parts of the world where MS is more prominent or prevalent uh, than normal, shall we say?
6: Well, Canada certainly has the highest rates of MS, uh, as you mentioned earlier, across the globe. But other countries that are furthest away from the country, from the equator rather, would also have high rates. And this would include the northern uh, U.S., uh, Europe, Um, even particular areas in Australia and Japan.
1: So this toolkit that you've sent us here, uh, Innovative Wellness Solutions for Canadians Suffering from Multiple Sclerosis, this is about managing your ms treatment with an ms wellness toolbox so what is in this toolbox
6: well that's a good question and as i mentioned earlier that no two snowflakes are alike ms does affect each person differently and treatment options uh, will vary greatly from um, person to person Uh, some people will choose medications while others do not and everyone's journey um as a whole with MS is going to be different, uh, unique even. So to help uh, motivate uh, folks that are living with MS more um, holistically about their treatment journey, we've created an MS wellness toolbox that contains um, different strategies to help enhance quality of life. So if, uh, people can exercise uh, choice for their treatments. They can also combine a variety of options from diet and exercise to uh, medicine. So what we're wanting the toolbox to provide is the best information and support in this area to people living with MS. So uh, there are, by by reaching out to people living with MS, um, the toolbox uh, includes uh, several wellness themes and if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about five of those key themes. Um, the first It's about moving your body exercise is the key here we are not suggesting several hours per day at the gym it just wouldn't be that realistic but that doesn't mean a person does nothing Uh, pilates and yoga are emerging as new and beneficial ways to be active and both can be tailored for people living with ms second it's about feeding your health and we know there's a lot of information about diet and wellness out there The general rule of thumb, though, is to eat healthy. For some, that means cutting out dairy, uh, gluten, sugar. Um, For other people, it could mean uh, increasing their whole foods intake. Um, It's about finding a balance that works for the individual. Third, it's about looking beyond um, the traditional uh, ways of healthy living. While having a traditional health care team is a must, uh, we're not asking people to stop there. Uh, many people living with MS uh, do take a holistic approach to healing and they work with their uh, nutritionists, their um, naturopaths, uh, massage therapists. It's good to uh, ensure that everyone is involved in the healthcare and is aware of all the treatments that person is engaged in. Fourth, it's about sharing. Um, Most people living with MS find it helpful to talk about their experiences. And while support groups uh, work very well, certainly they're not for everyone. So uh, some people living with MS may choose um, alternate routes, such as writing a blog or keeping a diary, confiding in a close friend, maybe even uh, attending uh, a therapy session. And finally, we're asking folks to cut themselves some slack. They're going to have bad days just like anybody else. But allow yourself to be down for that day. And then work to make tomorrow better. Just always know that you're not alone on this journey and that help is just a phone call away.
0: Heidi, the, 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 thank you, Daryl, for running those down, because I, I think they're exceptional. Uh, based on my sister's experience, uh, I, I think all of these things are outstanding uh, ways to look at this and to approach it. Without a cure, you, you really are, you're managing this disease. And Heidi, the one that really stuck out for me is looking beyond the traditional, because I don't know if I've ever seen this before in black and white from an organization suggesting that you go outside the north. And I'll reiterate this. Many people living with MS take a holistic approach for healing, incorporate nutritionists, naturopaths, massage therapists, or acupuncturists as part of their management plan. And uh, I don't know if you have experience with any or all of these things. And and, and if you do, maybe you could speak about that.
5: Yeah. Um, so this toolkit is super exciting for me just because I've seen... I'm not just seeing the transformation in advice the MS Society or MS um, specialists are giving. I, I've lived it. I've seen how it's changed so much. So when I was 12 years old, they said you need to stop playing all your sports and just almost be sanitary because then you won't get a relapse again.
0: Look at number one. Move right? your body. Exactly.
5: Exactly. And it excites me because it's it's totally changed and it's like, live still live a good life despite having MS or live it with MS, right? Um, so, and I, I have done all sorts of things and I, I do take a medication right now, but there's one point that I didn't want to take medication and they were okay with that for a bit. And it's kind of, I was in charge of my life, which was really, really helpful. And I'm even surprised sometimes what works for me. So instead of playing hockey, I was starting to do yoga, which at first I was like, that's not even, does not do anything. It's not even a sport, but it somehow really helped my body out and it surprised me. So I do the moving the body is really important, and I think it's important to try all sorts of different things. So yoga, this year I started doing dragon boating, which was helpful for me. I, I like that. And I changed my diet as well. I'm from a dairy farm and a beef farm and going telling my parents, like, oh, I don't want to eat, like, high-fat foods, and I don't want to eat red meat anymore. It was a kind of a little bit of a shocker to them, but they are amazing. And so I barely eat meat, and if I do, it's white meat, and, and that, I feel, has, has helped me. And... And I try lots of things at once, and I maybe I don't know what's exactly improving my life, but the fact my life's improving, I'll take it, and I'll go with it.
1: We're going to pause our conversation with Heidi Pilipuk. She is uh, someone who is living with MS, and we also have on the phone Daryl Hominuk, who is Director of Programs and Services and Government Relations for the MS Society of Canada. We're talking about their new MS Wellness Toolbox, and we will continue our chat after we look at your forecast, up next.
0: We're excited to uh, meet uh, Heidi uh, Pillapuke, she she's a young adult living with MS. Uh, your story is very inspirational, Heidi. You mm-hmm. shared with us the fact that you uh, had to walk away from vet school.
5: Yeah, um, that was one of the most difficult things I had to do because I thought the hard part was getting in, which everyone usually says that. Um, but when you're in it and your MS acts up and you lose your vision, you lose your memory, it's really hard to. It's really hard to move on from that. And the fact I'm sitting here talking to you and I haven't burst into tears yet, it's an improvement already. So that's good. And it's just when you're kind of stuck in a corner, you the only person that's going to help you out is yourself and figuring out kind of what can work for you. And luckily, I have really supportive friends and family. Um, but also it was it was a journey to figure out what kind of things work for me, what doesn't work for me. And if I'm not common in certain, let's say, medications and stuff, it's like it's up to me to figure out a way, a way out and whatever inspires me or motivates me to move forward, then that's what I'm going to do.
1: How long ago was it that uh, you had to pull out of vet school?
5: Um, that would have been, what year was that? Um, like seven, no, sorry. A handful of years? I'm trying to calculate in my head. Yeah. Like six or six or seven years, seven years, I'd say.
0: So you've, uh, rebounded from that experience and tell us what you do now
5: um so i still have this passion for animals obviously um so I like the idea of animal-human interaction. So when I got really sick, actually, I felt the best when I was at home in my parents' place, and they have a farm, and I've had every type of animal you can think of, and I really believe in kind of animal therapy, um, and I think it works both ways. I think people are good for animals, animals are good for people. Um, so right now I'm working, at, I'm a research scientist. Um, I work at the U of M, and I'm working with animal welfare stuff um, with Agriculture Canada. My ultimate goal, though, is, um, once I get I want my PhD and I would like to be a, a doctor of kind of animal-human interactions, whether it's for animal welfare or human welfare, I think it works both ways. And that's like my dream. And yeah, I'm in a place right now I didn't expect to be. If you asked me a few years ago where I would be, it wouldn't be right right here.
0: You know, you express, expressed off air uh, how inspiring and uh, validating it was for you to see this toolbox uh, in black and white. Just share that with us before we let you go.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like... I go every year for my MS appointments, and I understand how it works um, in the doctor's office and how they want to take out all your information and figure out what the next best move is. Um, it was always very like really, very limiting for me, I found, because when you went to the doctor's office, you wanted to talk about lots of things, but there's not enough time in an appointment. You see your specialist only once a year. Um, so the fact that they're recognizing now there's other ways, and they want to empower you to try to find other ways, that's shocking in general in the medical field. So it is—it's ex- exciting and it's inspiring. And this is the one time that I'm like, I like the direction the MS society is going. And it should have—and it's exciting that, despite having MS, you can live a great life still.
0: You're super inspiring and excited to have met you. Thanks for sharing the story. Let's stay in touch.
5: Okay, it's a pleasure to be here today. And I know you don't talk about football all day, so I appreciate the break you took. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: Heidi Pilipuk is her name. She has MS and uh, she came here to tell us about the new MS Wellness Toolbox, which you can get more information on at mssociety.ca. We also spoke with Daryl Hominuk, who is Director of Programs and Services and Government Relations for the MS Society of Canada. Canada. Global News at 2 o'clock is up next. Well, that was inspiring. It was. We actually just got an email from David. I'll read that. If, in case you're just tuning in now and missed our previous half hour, we were talking about the MS Society of Canada. has They have come up with what they're calling... The MS Wellness Toolbox. And you can get more information at mssociety.ca. But we spoke with Daryl Hominick, who is Director of Programs and Services and Government Relations for the MS Society of Canada. But we also spoke with Heidi Pellepuke. She joined us in studio. She has MS. And David writes to Brett at cjob.com as well as GMAC at cjob.com. Hey, guys, I'm listening to Heidi tell her story, and it is very moving. I don't have MS, but a diabetic with blindness, and some neuropathy, I can relate to having a positive never-give-up attitude, as Heidi does. I would be honored to hear more of how she manages. She is very inspiring. Thanks, David. And David, we thank you for sending us that note and for listening. You are right. Her story is inspiring and uh, we will look for an excuse to bring her back.
0: Yeah, without question, if you'd like to uh, catch that audio, again, if you just caught the tail end of our discussion, we upload our our shows every night uh, following our program. They're usually up there by about five o'clock, 5.30. If uh, if Brett has to take a little bit of a break and have a sandwich or something before, uh, <laughs> they're usually up there by 5.30. Go to cgob.com, find the shows, uh, the audio on demand, and uh, you can find it there. And if you'd like, the audio uh, isolated, we could always send it to you as well. If you're uh, extremely or or exceptionally inspired by a guest, we'd love to share that with you. GMAC at CGOB.com. Brett at CGOB.com.
1: You can also subscribe to the podcast. The show will be available in podcast form, iTunes, or Google Play. That's Uh,
0: true. You just get it automatic every day.
1: Just comes to you. You don't have to go find it. You just got to find it the one time, hit subscribe, and it comes to you. want to switch gears now. One of our uh, our pals, Mickey Mickelson, is a publicist in Calgary, and he's uh, introduced us to a number of cool authors over the last year. That's been one of the great joys, actually, of doing this particular show is we've met a lot of interesting authors. And this next one I'm excited about because Mickey sends us this note, and it says, I just signed a new author. She's releasing the second book in a series called Pretty Wicked, which is a psychological thriller series, so that sounds right up my alley. It's also the the title of her first book, Pretty Wicked. And she's local to Vancouver and but the reason why I really wanted to talk to her is Mickey goes on to point out uh, that she is well she's got a second book coming called Wicked Fallout, but she's also done some in-depth research on the mind of a serial killer. So mm-hmm. Kelly, welcome to 680 CJOB in, in Winnipeg. How is the weather today in Vancouver?
7: Thank you so much for having me. It's hot. It is so hot and I don't have air conditioning, so I'm a little bit roasting right now.
1: Oh my god.
7: How hot so, is
0: it, Kelly Sharon?
7: I think it's about thirty two. So, thirty
0: two in that. Vancouver. My gosh. That that is a heat wave in that part of the world, without no question.
7: Does. Where's the rain? I'm yeah, it's good. It's good to have a break.
0: Well, it's uh, good to have you with us, and uh, Brett, I know you have just uh, concluded reading a book by an author who previously visited us, and, and it would uh, be described as a
1: psychological thriller, I think? Yeah, it was uh, It was more it was like, a, like a kidnap and ransom thriller, so certainly uh, tons of psychology involved, and one of the things that it, it, it impressed me about it was the attention to detail, so that's why it was the the line about your in depth research of the mind of a serial killer that I really wanted to talk to you. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us about Pretty Wicked and then the uh, this the second book, the follow up, Wicked Fallout. What is Pretty
7: Wicked? I'd be happy to. Thanks again for having me. So Pretty Wicked is um, takes place in Colorado. It's a fictional town that I made up called Dungrave, and it follows fifteen year old Ryan Wilkinson who has grown up knowing that she's a little bit different from her peers and from most people that she knows, and that she has a proclivity for dark things, and she has some urges that she knows are not normal. So her father is a local police detective, and she's gone to his you know, workplace with him often and really pays attention to what's, what's going on so that she can, you know, hopefully later on in life, when she feels she's ready to do some pretty nasty things, get away with it.
1: Oh, so she she wants to be a killer.
7: Yeah, she studied serial killers for most of her life and feels that they're kindred spirits and that she's also misunderstood as they were. And she calls them the greats and she hopes to be one one day herself. So she learns whatever she can from her dad. Basically, he's an unwilling participant kind of in how she can get away with murder.
0: So the main character is female in spite of her name, Ryan, but the second N might have tipped us off if you're just reading the jacket and and kind of at a high level. Based on your research into uh, serial killers, how frequent is it that we find a a woman perpetrating this type of crime?
7: It is a lot less frequent, of course. You do find that there are women killers, but usually they're not serial killers. Um, with the you know, exception of, uh, we all know of Eileen who who is played by Charlize Theron in the movie Monster. And um, so she was one version of it. You often will see something like, I forget the exact terminology, but almost like an angel killer type thing where they work in hospitals and could be a nurse or something, and they will, over the, you know, the span of their career, possibly kill upwards of 100 people. So it is a lot... Less frequent that you'll see that usually is white middle-aged men, but yeah, they do happen, and they are happening younger. In my research, I found a lot of young women, even teenagers, who are committing murders. It wasn't necessarily serial, but it was even more mass murder, so it would be like an entire family or a few friends, things like that.
1: So how do women differ, and you, you referenced one, the, the angel killer, the, the kind who might work in a hospital, but in general, how do women differ in the way that they decide to end someone's life as opposed to, to men?
7: Typically, women use less lethal means, so they might prefer poison or pills or you know, a pillow over the head smothering, something like that, and again, in the hospital it was a medication overdoses, something along that line, or something that is not very physical, so like a gun, so they're not actually physically touching their victim. they're doing it at arm's length, so to speak. That seems to be a little bit more um, where a woman would differ from a male. However, in my book, I wanted to kind of not I wanted to break those stereotypes, and I wanted to have my female do anything that her idols would do. So she is very hands-on when she
0: does things. We're visiting uh with the author of the second in a series of books. That book is called Wicked Fallout. It's the follow pardon me, it's the follow-up to Pretty Wicked, and Kelly Sharon joins us from Vancouver. We're talking about the psychology of a serial killer and getting into a little more specifically the psychology of the main character in this book and and female killers in particular. What drew you to this Uh, line of investigation and subsequently the idea of writing a book about
8: this.
7: I've always been interested and fascinated with human psychology and motivation and what makes some people do um, very different things from the rest of society. So for me, um, I did study a lot of personality disorders. I have a background in social work and I did actually work with some youth who you could say would be on The spectrum of being a sociopath. Um, I've always just been really interested in in brain chemistry and what could and could not go wrong. The nature versus nurture kind of argument and what could you know change for one person that you know they might grow up in a household with all these risk factors that they come out perfectly fine, but somebody else comes out like Jeffrey Dahmer. So yeah, I did do a lot of research. The second book takes place twelve years later and follows Ryan as she's incarcerated. Uh, It does share a point of view with a forensic psychiatrist that um, I did research and study quite a bit for as well. Um, The book takes place in Colorado, and I was fortunate enough to be able to interview a Colorado prosecutor and another woman who um, works with teen killers. So she basically works with them to see if a life sentence is always the most fair because there is some um, psychology and some, some science based around brain development that anybody under the age of really 22, I believe it is, doesn't have full capacity and can't fully comprehend their actions or consequences of their actions the same way an adult can. So even though they might, at the time, understand what they're doing to a certain extent, is it fair to punish them for their entire life without parole? So she kind of works with these kids to try to get them, well, as they're adults later on, get them parole or get them another chance. So yeah, talking to both women was very fascinating for me. Um, to kind of get a better background on what would be realistic
1: for my novel. Well, one of the reasons why uh, I think this is such an interesting subject is because we all have darkness inside us, right? To, just, obviously, some people take it to to great lengths like a serial killer, but I remember on this very radio station, we talked to a psychiatrist who I think the words he used on the air were, I want you to take a few seconds later today and and fantasize about killing someone. Because we all have this darkness in us, and he says, it's okay to think about it, And because if you try to ignore it, that is what can can lead to actually acting on this kind of thing. So when you were doing your research to write this book, you clearly had to go to a, a dark corner of the human psyche. So what was that like for you as you're reading about all these awful things to try to give you the ammunition you needed to tell a good story?
7: That's a great question. Um, I could separate myself enough with, with content that I was reading. But when I was watching documentaries or watching reenactments, there are a lot of TV shows out there who actually, one in particular that's called Killer Kids, and the reenactments were so visceral that it was actually really disturbing. My husband was like, you have to quit watching that. I don't care if you're researching, you need to shut it off because it was so... Yeah, it was very, very intense and very upsetting, of course. Um, I do have a fictionalized account, of course, in my books, and I do put some dark humor in there to kind of lighten it a little bit. So if you think back to um, the movie Heathers, where it, these girls do bad things, but there's a sense of humor and like dark you know, comedy, then I, I, I'm going for a bit more of a feel like that because it is very dense and scary subject matter. And the fact of the matter is these things happen in real life. And so, yeah, I don't want to, you know, I, I did think about my responsibility in writing the book in the first place and putting it out there. And I did talk to quite a few, few colleagues and different people about, you know, how responsible it was for me. But in the end, I go by what Stephen King says, and it's basically it's a story and fiction. And, you know, with the video games and with movies and with everything else that's out there, people understand it's fiction and they can separate it. So, you know, I just had that
0: concern of course but <laughs> well why don't we take a pause we'll update our forecast here in Winnipeg and then we'll go back to Vancouver and visit more with our guest Kelly Sharon she is an author we're talking about the psychology of a serial killer her latest book the second in a series is called Wicked Fallout and want to ask Kelly when we come back about nature versus, versus nurture what's more influential in creating the psychology the psychosis Of a serial killer when we come back.
1: Check your forecast up next.
0: Mm, Kind of a Vancouver-like forecast. (laughs) Ironic, considering uh, it's 32 degrees, sunny in Vancouver. I know uh, after Labor Day, things tend to cool off. Don't worry, fret not. Environment Canada saying that starting Thursday, we will be back into a much warmer weather pattern. Lots of sunshine as we head
1: into Banjo Bowl weekend. Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry with you until 4 o'clock. And Kelly Sharon is our guest. She is an author. She is in Vancouver, where it is sunny and 32 degrees. And we're talking about the second book in her series. The first book was called Pretty Wicked, and this is uh, the sequel is called Wicked Fallout. And that first book was about a teenage girl whose father is a cop, and she uses inadvertently uses her father to help her learn how to how to kill people and get away with murder. And this is the the fallout, the wicked fallout is the second book. And uh, you're probably going to, I'm going to ask the question, even though you're probably going to hate that I bring this up, but how much uh, was a character like Dexter, uh, who th- this was a, a t- successful television show, also a successful series of books. And this is about a guy who works for the Miami police department, but on the side, he's a serial killer. Uh, of other serial killers because he has this dark urge within him and he decides to channel it towards the forces of good. But was his character at all an influence on what you've decided to do here?
7: Loved that show. Um, Watched it so quickly, just binge-watched that sucker. So, I mean, sure, I could say subconsciously it probably played a part in there. I did really love his character. But what differed for, for me was that Ryan is definitely not um, not like him because he has a conscience. He doesn't want to be a killer. He doesn't want to have these dark urges or as he refers to it as a dark passenger. And he tries his best. If he's going to have to, you know, do these things, he, you know, tries to better society by it. She doesn't have these kind of restrictions or rules. She makes her own kind of code up, um, very much of a who she feels like might deserve it. And she, you know, goes amok that way. So I feel like while they're similar with getting maybe of having, you know, police interaction and things like that, they are, they are quite different personalities.
0: Is this so Kelly, based on your research and uh, where would you fall on the whole idea of what, what's more influential in creating a, a serial killer? Would it be nature? Would it be nurture?
7: I would love to say it's one or the other. Oh, geez. I know you were going to do this? Then, no, no, it, it gets better. So here we go. So there's there definitely physical things. They have, they have even come across their scientific evidence to say when they have had uh, done brain studies on therapists who have died, they've taken their brain and done studies, and they do find that there is damage to the prefrontal cortex in a lot of the brains, meaning it could have been a benign something like they fell out of a tree as a child or they hit, got hit in the head by you know, a baseball bat or something and you know thought that everything was fine, but really what that did was damage the part of the brain that has empathy and his ability to empathize and connect and bond. And so if that is missing, then there's a huge component of of being able to care about somebody else. And if you don't care, then what does it matter? So another um, scientific thing, it's actually from psychcentral.com that I found, it says hyperreactive dopamine reward system. And so those are those in- individuals who are really... Um, they get high on things like certain actions. So the thrill of the chase or the thrill of not getting caught and doing something, you know, maybe like stalking somebody or hurting somebody, that is its own drug to them and they have to keep doing it to get more and more. So there definitely are some physical things that we do see. Um, you can look at the behavior of, or adolescents growing up with abusive situations or, you know, anything like that, that will, change the brain chemistry as well so I tend to think that there is something inherently wrong physically um with somebody who can do these things I don't think because if you look at how many people have had traumatic childhoods and had you know abusive situations and all of these things and they turn out perfectly fine and are well adjusted and are great people in better society I'd have to say there is something fundamentally different in the brain structure I think
1: Kelly is wicked fallout uh, available yet or is it soon to be released
7: it is available
1: Okay, and that's going to be, that is available at Chapters Indigo as well as uh, on Amazon too, right?
7: Yep, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, all over.
1: Okay, and uh, very quickly, because we only have about 60 seconds left here, I also see that you've, you've got two urban uh, fantasy young adult novels that are uh, yet to be released. When are those going to be coming out?
7: Those have to be um, polished up a bit and reworked a tiny bit, and they are the beginning of series, so probably when I get the second book going a bit, then I'll be able to release the first.
0: Kelly Sharon, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Let's do it again.
7: Thank you so much. I had fun. Have a great
0: day. You too. Kelly Sharon, she is the author of Wicked Fallout, and uh, you can pick that up now. It is the sequel to her first book called Pretty Wicked.
1: Yeah, once again, it's it's about a a girl who... Learns from her dad, who is a police officer, how to kill people and get away with it. It sounds like a neat story, so Kelly, thanks for coming on to tell us a little bit about that. And after 2.30, we are going to switch gears and revisit a conversation that we had last week that is inspirational, positive, charismatic, insert uh, awesome descriptor here.
0: Whichever superlative you choose, uh, James West, the former member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers from H- Houston when we visited with him last week in the uh, remnants of Hurricane Harvey. Global News is up next. Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry with you until four o'clock this afternoon. We won't be here tomorrow.
1: Correct. What's going on? We're going to be we've been we've been called up called to up. fill in. Yes, it's going to be Mackling and McGarry. In the, in the morning? morning. Oh, my. First time in three years for that. For the Shadow Davis show. We'll be filling in on the Shadow Davis show for a couple of days. And, uh, yeah, that's right. We did do this. At the, was it one day or two days? I think it was two days
0: for Hal Anderson back once upon a time. One for sure. Was it one or two? What do you think it was? I think it was two. I think it was two. It wasn't just one.
1: Yeah, because the first day one. was was us essentially kind of just figuring out how to how to do it. We didn't blow up the radio station, so they had us back the day before. I, I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Gee, this
0: That could be taken so many ways these days. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be
1: here bright and early tomorrow. Do well, we have to whisper
0: from 6 till 6.30. I'll feel like I, I'll be wanting to be talk, talking like we're broadcasting golf. Doing 6 and 6.30 will want to wake the entire house just because you have the radio on to Get
1: your information fix here on 680 CGOB. Well, it's very soothing if you speak like that, so yeah, what, what, why not?
0: What, what is that type of video you've been sending me lately?
1: It's called a... Well, yeah, because you <laughs> you stumbled upon this video. I did, but I didn't know anything about it. And you're like, oh, that's an AMDR. You had a whole soliloquy about it. ASMR. Greg finds his video. I think it was actually Ty on Power 97 who was talking about this Correct. video. Of a woman eating pickles and eating other various things and, and record like she would take a bite of this pickle and then chew it like right into this microphone. There is a giant part of a corner of YouTube that's all towards, it's called ASMR. It's autonomous sensory meridian response that I don't understand what any of that means. Basically what it means is, um, it's a sound that triggers, you know, like if you're listening to something and it triggers this, it makes your brain all tingly, sort mm-hmm. of in the front of your head. Right. That's what it is. It's the it's these soothing or noises that trigger this response. Uh, like a lot of a lot of these ASMR videos, all they do is whisper. They so they'll they'll do an entire video where they're just whispering to you, and the idea is that you wear headphones while you're watching these videos, and it awakens something in your brain. Like just thinking about Bob Ross. Paint anything? Happy little trees. Just uh, We'll just draw a nice happy little cloud over here. There. Just a little bit of white. Maybe some blue underneath. Give him a little buddy. He's
0: he's your tree. You can do what you want. It's your painting. But you know what's funny? Is that IKEA now has a commercial about this. Yes. It's like a five-minute video talking about their sheets. (laughs) And you can spread out the sheets. 200 thread count. And you can hear the hand going across across the sheet. And then just the sound of the fingers going across the sheet is supposed to have some sort of, you know, this, uh, what would you say, AMSR?
1: ASMR.
0: Oh, I knew I'd mess it up. Uh, AMSR effect on you. So uh, now the, the largest, one of the largest retailers on the planet is figuring out that hey, this is a good way to hook up with some potential customers here.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a twenty five minute ad, and uh, it, I've seen it described as one of the most satisfying ads you will ever see. <laughs> really? Uh, here's a headline right now: ASM IKEA ad for bedroom furniture is so relaxing, you may be. Hang on, I'm just going to pull up the full. Uh, is so relaxing, you may be comatose by the end. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, let me just. Oh, uh, let's see if this you has press the play video on that? here. Okay, let's do it. Uh, come on, it's hey. probably. It probably hasn't... Oh, here it is.
9: Welcome to IKEA ASMR, or as we like to call it, oddly IKEA. Today we're showing you how you can make your perfect college dorm room with IKEA's many perfect solutions.
0: Holy crow.
9: A relaxing place to end a stressful day of being a student. Let's start with making the perfect bed.
0: Okay, make the bed.
9: Look at how well the sheets fit over a typical dorm room mattress. This is an Ulvi sheet set which includes the fitted sheet that you see here, a flat sheet and one pillowcase for only twenty nine ninety nine. And listen to how nice it sounds as it's smoothed. The amazingly elastic edging. Okay,
1: we have lots of people who are driving right now. We probably shouldn't be playing this.
10: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, oh, why won't you stop? Okay, I'll just close the window. Yeah, so I mean, ASMR, I just Googled common ASMR triggers. Whispering is probably the most popular and common ASMR trigger. And uh, there, we actually have a guest who she doesn't whisper, but she has a uh, just a, almost a whispery quality to her voice. And it's, uh, it's fitting because she's a sleep expert. It's Dr. Diana McMillan, whom That's we speak right. with often on this radio station. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I like getting her on the air is just so like we can hear her speak. It's absolutely soothing beyond question. So we're already kind of suckered into this. Yeah. Uh, other, t- other topics are scratching and tapping. A lot of the things that they'll do in these videos is that even uh, they'll just hold up boxes, you know, there are things like that. Uh, apparently, if, if you want, there's what you can watch videos of people just writing and with a, like an old fashioned ink, like
0: a calligraphy pen.
1: Yeah. Or, uh, an, uh, or uh, the, like an inkwell kind of pen. That's the word inkwell. Yeah. And uh, writing onto actual parchment. Because it, that particular scratching noise can trigger it. And even <laughs> I mentioned Bob Ross. Yes. It, uh, it's, he's the fourth one on the, uh, the, the list one. On, of ASMR triggers whispering, scratching, and tapping, blowing Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's not the golf itself that induces that nap on Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. when you're watching it. It's the commentators talking yeah. like
1: this. It's mm-hmm. not the golf. That's right. It's the sound of the commentators' voices. Yeah, it's very relaxing watching golf, and that's why. It's because the the announcers are being so
0: quiet. Tranquil,
1: serene. I I have actually. There was one time where I was having a hard time sleeping, so I put my phone on YouTube and put on a Bob Ross video, and I was gone in like five minutes.
0: Well, there you go. Who says you don't learn anything on this show? Why don't we press pause, update the weather forecast, and then James West will join us. We'll replay that conversation from last week. Up next. All right. Now that we're awake, uh, James West joined us last week from Houston. The former member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, had a conversation with us about his role, the small role, and and he minimized it dramatically in the recovery efforts uh, taking place in Houston, Texas. And uh, we're all about inspiration when we can be. Uh, this conversation with James Wild West was uh, very inspirational to Brett and, our, Brett and I, and we wanted to share it with you again. You know, some people uh, have lamented the invention of Facebook, what a time waster it can be, and uh, having to interact with people that you didn't even necessarily like in uh, university or high school or <laughs> junior high school for that matter. But uh, for me, it has been a godsend uh, in terms of uh, pursuing stories, interviews for stories, and uh, opportunities to connect with people, Who were my heroes when I was younger? Ulf Nielsen, former Winnipeg Jet. Dieter Brock of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And this man, James West. You knew him as James Wild West, number 58 of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He was a standout linebacker, part of two Grey Cup championships in our city, including the last one in 1990. And uh, James, you are beloved in this community. And so Facebook has afforded me the opportunity for you and I to connect on a different level. So thanks to Facebook and thanks to you for taking some time today.
11: Uh, Where are you
0: exactly? Where are we catching up to you today, James? James?
11: Oh, first of all, thank you for the city of Winnipeg. I love that city. I still bleed Blue Bomber Blue to this day, and it was a pleasure for me being there. Today I'm in Houston, my hometown. I've been in Atlanta for the last 20 years, but I came down to see my grandson play a game on Saturday, and then the storm hit the next day. So I've been here ever since, and, and what we're just doing right now is just hanging out here. So currently I'm just in, the, in Atlanta. I mean, I'm actually in Houston right now just uh help it out.
0: Yeah, you've been uh, out and about, though. You, you've you been doing some uh, special work, haven't you?
11: Absolutely, man. On the, on the part about what I do, um, as what some people call a job, I just call it passion because, you know, a, jo- a job ain't never work, right? But when you wish p- passion, passion is like the enemy of fatigue. You never get tired of doing it. So even though I'm not in the current city that I actually was called work in, I'm actually in the city right now doing the same things that I actually do in Atlanta.
0: So what do you do in Atlanta, James?
11: Uh, I'm an FCA representative. In Canada, you're probably familiar with AIA, which is uh, Athletes in Action. Yes, sir. I'm with FCA, which is a Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I'm responsible uh, for 18 DeKalb County schools. And I'm pretty much just a chaplain for those schools. Not a not a pastor, not a minister, but we do ministries in those schools and try to lift up the spirits and hearts and minds and of those young men and coaches and being able to give them some encouragement and hope. And in the era of my, you know, my testimonies, which you know, a lot of people don't really know. I never played football until I got to college, and then I got cut. <laughs> you know, and they said, "Well, how did you wind up doing all this?" And it's a story within itself. It's a story within a story.
1: So, as far as uh, what your time in Houston over the last few days, what kind of uh, what kind of things have you had to do, or have you experienced?
11: Well, we experienced uh, the time of loss and the time of celebration. Uh, the time of celebration is I'm here to be able to be with my family. They're all secure and they're all safe. And then you go, you know, deal with the people who have had some loss. We have people that live losing their lives here. Uh, some people have their homes destroyed. Uh, tornadoes and hurricanes have affected this area deeply. Uh, we've been able to go out into the community, and that's what we need to do anyway, work in our entire communities. And in my daughter's community, that's who I'm living with right now while I'm here, we went out and reached out to her community to help with clothes and food and shoes and, you know, uh, gas for cars and a, piece, a place to sleep and a place to lay down. And we've been reaching out to them and helping out and, you know, putting all arms together to make this thing work. You know, almost similar to what we did in football. <laughs> we played football back in the day. We always cared about each other. Even in the midst of this, um, you know, none, you no know, facebook you mentioned Facebook, Now it's probably relevant. Back then it wasn't really relevant. We really really had to do our own Facebooking. We actually had our own little network inside that locker room and even outside that locker room. So it's a continuation of what I did then and put carried on to who I am now.
0: Uh, James West joins us from Houston, Texas. Flood ravaged, as you know, we don't need to tell you that. Uh, James West, the former Winnipeg Blue Bomber star. And James, uh, earlier this year, uh, in in the springtime, we we, we uh, recognized 20 years since the flood of the century, as we called it in 1997, here in Winnipeg. And you may right. re- re- remember that. Uh, southern Manitoba, cover, covered by what was called the Red Sea at the time. And lots of people lost their livelihoods, lost their homes in, in that disaster. So we can relate somewhat, but I think the, the stories that, that stand the test of time are the community and the way we came together as a province. And, and that was really why I wanted to talk to you today, because I know you like to celebrate the positives, and, and there's been a lot of that, right? Commiseration, a lot of community, and ironically, celebration, you used the word uh, right off the bat.
11: Right. Well, you know what? Visions for people lives should be this. It's about restoring families, connecting to community, you know, racial reconciliation, And impacting the world. So those are four visions that pretty much are part of my life. You know, restoring family, you know, connecting community, racial reconciliation, impacting the world. And I've been able to do all those, you know, traveling the world, doing what I do in terms of the ministry component that I operate in. And listen, it's it's not that I'm religious. I'm more relational. I do have a relationship with Jesus. But I'm more relational. And I have been like that all my life. I may not have been the greatest player, but I sure can put myself in the category of being one of the greatest people. I would love my teammates. And nobody was more greater than the other one. And that's what we need to do. That football thing, it's probably a great metaphor. I think football is the greatest metaphor for life because you go through struggles, you go through uh, times of woundedness, you go through times of losing, you know, times of winning. So we celebrate. Anything, whether it be on the victory side or the losing side, you celebrate it because you don't have to stay there. you got to forget about yesterday and focus on what's going to happen today. And when you can do that, then you can move forward. So, you know, it's all about design and what kind of vision you have for what you want to do. Let me give you one quick example. When the season started, when we played, the prerequisite was we know it was going to the playoffs. All right. So we had bigger fish to fry. So our, our desire was, okay, how are we going to win the Great Cup this year? So we didn't really celebrate going to the playoffs. <laughs> we celebrated winning the championship. <laughs> right. So now on the other side of the ball, we try to celebrate other people. Now, we don't play football anymore. So a lot of my teammates who play with me, they're celebrating. You know, like you look at Lyle ball, for example. It's a whole lot of guys like Perry Tuller. You look at those guys, they celebrating with those people who are less you know, known us or recognizing what they're doing, we lift up the spirits of those guys. Especially with Lyle Bowers uh, organization, you know, the Never Alone Foundation. I mean, seventy percent of Canadians are dealing with cancer right now. Seventy percent. Man, that's a high number. I hope you haven't had cancer yet, but golly, seventy percent of people in Canada develop cancer. And that's a thing that needs to be done. And he. He raised that organization or been a large part of it, man, and that's what we do. We do stuff beyond what the football does. You understand what I'm saying?
0: A hundred percent, James. I'm 33 years removed from my first – football championship, a provincial championship at the Bantam level and whenever I come across guys from that team, it, it's like we're 15 years old again because we achieved something together and it was very special right? right? We've, we've carried it through our lives and, and our extended relationship even though we live all spread across North America, when we see each mm. other there's a special connection and, and, and a, I agree with you, football is a great metaphor for life. You mentioned a name there, one of my favorite Blue Bombers that, that doesn't get mentioned often enough as one of the greatest players in Blue Bomber history. You mentioned Perry Tuttle. Why did you ma- mention Perry's right. name? Is he unwell?
11: Well, Perry is in proximity to me. Perry lives in Carolina, close to Clemson University, and I try to talk to all of my teammates at one point or another, and that's why we stay connected. I'm not saying I was a connectivity person involved, though, but i probably try to connect with more people than everybody else, though. But anyway, we try to connect with each other. Dale the Aaron Browns, uh, of course, Chris Walby, you know, Bob Cameron, James Murphy. I can just go on and on again. But uh, uh, me and Prairie are much more in close proximity. Uh, uh, Tony Norman lives in my city. There's <laughs> over 100 guys that actually pay... There's over 100 guys in Atlanta that actually played in the CFL. Over 100. Not all that played with the Bombers. But, you know, some of those guys in in close proximity to me, so why wouldn't I reach out to them? It's another time of celebration. I think people get so caught up in the now, they don't remember to celebrate, you know, what we actually did and and what we came from. And now how can we pass it on to somebody else? And that's all designed on life. How can you pass it on the celebration of life, the celebration on life to somebody else? And that's what that's what we do. Right. So, yeah, I'm just I'm excited about life. I never would imagine myself actually doing or being somebody like this. But I was getting practice for what I did, what I'm doing now playing football. So what I everything that I did in football is a pretty much a metaphor that actually led me to the position that I'm doing now.
1: Well, James, your your positivity is is entirely infectious, and uh, good for you for for having an attitude like that. When you go to a place like Houston and you see what you have seen in recent days, how is that positivity ever challenged? Do you ever feel any moments of despair?
11: Well, yes. I mean, I face it on quite a bit, but you know what? Sometimes people call that failure, but see, failure is a catalyst for strength. You know, and I also call it the principle of pain. You know, I call it your pops, and I'm not talking about your dad. But pops is the principle of pain. For you to be able to get on the other side, you got to experience some difficulties in your life. But you know what? Pretty much about 90% on how you respond is how you come out on the other side. And then, like I said earlier, you know, there's going to be losses in your life, and there's going to be difficulties, and there's going to be some failure. But you have to respond positively every time in it. You know we can hang our heads for a second, but we need to rise our head up and walk boldly, and whatever that thing that is going to be, we just need to walk in a boldness, even though we don't feel like it. We still walk forward, and we just pray for the mark because we have a mark that we're trying to engage. And you just live that life like that, man. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm no different than I was when I played football. I really not. I just think it just gave me a. It gave me a boost to what I'm doing right now, but it got me prepared when I played football because I wanted to make sure every teammate felt special and every person I come across even you when I'm having this conversation with you right now, this is for you now I want to encourage you to whatever's going into your life man, just keep moving forward because they're either tomorrow <laughs> James, I mean, life is great man.
0: <laughs> James Wild West uh, in, in the middle of the flood zone in Houston, Texas uh, doing amazing work, inspiring people as he's done uh, for as long as I've ever known about him since the early 1980s you're a special man James, you're special to a lot of people here in Winnipeg and uh, thanks for the work that you're doing, and uh, hopefully next time you're in the city we can uh, do this face-to-face.
11: Well, i tell you what. That's going to happen because I'm coming up for the Cal Murphy statue presentation. Well, so well, I'll see you guys later on this month.
0: That sounds great, James. We'll uh, stay in touch with you, okay, my friend?
11: Man, God bless you
0: all, man. And bless, bless an opportunity. bless Take you care. too, James. Thank you so much. James West, that the is. former— that member was... of the Winnipeg. Sorry, I didn't cut you <laughs> off there. <laughs> I'm interrupting you in real life and even in the recording. I'm sorry I didn't cut off that last second and a half there. Uh, James West, the uh, former member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, member of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He'll be in Winnipeg, as he mentioned, for the unveiling of the Cal Murphy uh, statue later on uh, this month in September at uh, IGF. Uh, What an inspirational guy. He was on the field and uh, continues to be such.
1: Global News at 3 o'clock is up next.
0: All right, 3.08. Ah, 3.07. Not quite (laughs) there yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, (laughs) Sun is shining a little bit here. Boy, erratic. Might be the calmest of words to describe today's weather. We've had downpours, thunder, lightning, sunshine, straight blue sky, you name it. We've seen it. At uh, Pull Park, Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry with you. Uh, of course, yesterday was the Labor Day Classic, the Blue Bombers on the short end of the stick. And uh, we're looking to make sure that IGF doesn't come out on the short end of the stick in terms of noise. Folks on TV had their decibel meters out yesterday, and they said that Mosaic Stadium topped out at 104 decibels. It's pretty loud. Yeah. I think in the playoffs uh, back in 2015, the Jets topped out against 2014. The Jets topped out at about 124 decibels, Ooh. which isn't too bad at all. But it's not the record. The record is held by the fans at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And here's some audio from last September in anticipation of the opening of the new stadium in Minneapolis. Comparing the loudness of many NFL stadiums, which was the loudest and some decibel readings from those different stadiums.
4: When the U.S. Bank Stadium hosted Metallica last week with nearly 50,000 fans packing the seats, the concert not only brought down the house, it had some complaining about the noise levels. One fan tweeting, I think I've suffered long-term hearing damage. Another posting the next morning, my ears are still ringing. That metal music, not necessarily to blame, it's the stadium itself and the acoustically reflective material on its roof. According to a hearing expert, this means noise levels during a football game here could sound 10 times louder than other NFL football stadiums. To put it in perspective, a normal conversation is around 60 decibels, a lawnmower can reach around 90, and doctors say anything over 85 could be harmful.
6: The thing to remember with noise exposure is it's cumulative. So after several decades of uh, attending concerts, football games, you can wind up with a permanent noise-induced hearing loss.
4: Kansas City's Arrowhead Stadium holding the world record for the biggest roar at 142.2 decibels. That's louder than a jet taking off. Seahawk fans have clocked in at 137.6 decibels. And in New Orleans, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome has reached 122.6. That's
0: pretty loud. We want to beat 104 this weekend at IGF, and we will give you opportunities uh, to win tickets throughout the week as we uh, shift our time slot to 6 till 10. Mackling McGarry in the morning uh, with you and for Shadow Davis. uh, Starting tomorrow morning, we have some trivia that you will need to answer about the Banjo Bowl, and the history of that game, some different records. Kelly Moore, thank you to you, sir, for compiling some very outstanding uh, trivia and uh, questions that you'll need to be a real Bomber fan to know and to be able to uh, give us the answers to. That'll be starting tomorrow, and I think we're
1: giving away some cowbells too. That's right, a pair of cowbells from Tuesday to Friday because we are encouraging, issuing a challenge to you to get loud as the Banjo Bowl comes up. We want to you to get your noisemakers ready for the banjo bowl. And if you don't have noisemakers, then you will have the opportunity to win yourself some cowbell. Um, here's a, This is an interesting, I was just trying to Google where Winnipeg would land in terms of uh, crowd noise at the arena. Okay. Couldn't quite find anything specific to like a, a list of the, the, the loudest arenas. I'm sure if I had more time, I could find it. But I did find the loudest crowd roar at an indoor sports event is also in Kansas. It's the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh 130.4 decibels in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh or uh, let's see. Yeah, this it was just February 13th earlier this year against West Virginia. They must have been trying hard. Yeah, it was uh, That
0: is a great place to watch a basketball game. I was fortunate enough to go to a game there about six years ago, Naismith Court. It's incredible. The history there, it's steeped in history. The Kansas university to a great extent is, is, is the birthplace of basketball. Cause James Naismith took the rules of basketball to Kansas university and basically started this whole national phenomenon of playing basketball, Canadian, of course, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the court is named after him there. Naismith was a professor at the university, or at Kansas University. It's If you ever get the opportunity to go down for a game, that would be the place to go and watch an indoor basketball game. Uh, Maybe outside Duke University, as much as I hate the Blue Devils, I'd love to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium. That'd be a blast.
1: The Cameron Crazies. I, too, have always been... Uh, I never liked the Duke Blue Devils, and I th- I think part of the reason was the Cameron Crazies. <laughs> but it was a respect. You know, I respect that their fans. Something about college sports, in, in particularly in the United States, there is something special about watching it. And the March Madness is fun, the tournament, but I think I enjoy watching the games more when the games are played on whoever's home court because the fans are always insane.
0: Oh, they are. And... Uh... A new tradition, speaking of NCAA football and NCAA sport, Brett, A new tradition started at Iowa's football stadium yesterday. When I say they did the wave at a Hawkeyes game, you likely imagine the now passé practice of fans rising to their feet with Mm -hmm. their hands in the air, sitting back down, section by section, this visual and audible fan-created phenomenon. It's designed, of course, to rally and inspire fans and the home team. I think a lot of people just laugh at it now. On Saturday, the headline, Iowa Hawkeyes fans do the wave, took on a new meaning. And I don't know if you can play audio of a we're wave, a but here we're going to try. Get it. <laughs> Take a
3: look at the UI Iowa State Family Children's Hospital and let's give a big Hawkeye wave
11: to all the kids watching the game.
0: that was just about inaudible and I apologize for that. Essentially what's happened at uh, Kinnick Stadium on the campus of the University of Iowa, there's a children's hospital that's been built and Well, on certain floors of the hospital, the top floors of the hospital, actually look into the stadium of this children's hospital. So, yesterday or on Saturday, the kids all gathered at the window, those that could. And after the first quarter, all the fans in Kinnick Stadium turned and waved at the kids in the children's hospital on campus. And if you get an opportunity to see the video, watch it. Uh, it's quite emotional. Uh, if you have kids or not, I think you appreciate
1: it. That's pretty cool. Good for them. Um, <laughs> I, Iowa Hawkeyes, you're saying this was?
0: Yeah, U.I. Steed Family Centers, is the uh, Family Children's Hospital. And, yeah, it's Kinnick Stadium, uh, the uh, University of Iowa. Hawkeyes.
1: I used to have an Iowa Hawkeyes hat. Great colors. In the 1990s. Great the, logo. Yeah, they. well, that was the – I mean, I didn't really have any particular – affinity for the, the school. I just liked their colors. I liked the logo. I bought the hat and I uh, wore it into the ground and then finally had to retire it, and it was a sad day uh, because you could walk into a store and buy them back then. That's in, in the early 90s, college sports were fairly popular, I think largely because of the tournament and the, the rivalry between, uh, well, maybe the Fab Five and anybody. It was because they played Duke one year and then North Carolina the right. next year, but the Fab Five was a, a genuine phenomenon in University of, of Michigan. Sports. That's that's right. You can name all five of the five five, five five. Oh, I don't know if I could do all five. Chris Webber, Jalen Rose. There was uh, Ray. Um,
0: there was... 204-780-6868 <laughs> if you can I'm... name the Fab Five without Googling it. We're having a little bit of fun on Labor Day. It's Mackling and McGarry. Craig and Brett with you till four o'clock, then it's Richard and Julie getting you home, getting you safe. Well, I don't know how many people are at work today. We are here, glad to be here with you. oh. Uh, ow. ow, I just hurt my tongue while I had it
1: in my cheek. Oh, did you bite it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's the worst. I'll Mm -hmm. let you nurse that for a second. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the Fab Five. I I, I mentioned how I had an Iowa Hawkeyes hat because you could walk into any store that sold hats. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember Jersey. I know Jersey City now exists uh, again at Polo Park more towards the, the main entrance to the south, but it used to be on the second floor. On this closer end of to the, the bay, and it had that big bomber helmet over top of the counter. You could walk into a store like that and buy Georgia Tech yellow jackets or Iowa Hawkeyes hat, which is what I had because I really liked the hat, and I think a lot of that was because of the Fab Five. They were a huge phenomenon in college sports, and Greg said, can you name the Fab Five? And I, I sort of blanked. I could only think of Chris Webber and Jalen Rose. And we've got Rob on the line who thinks he can name all five. Rob, are you there?
0: Hey, how's it going? Good. Solemn oath that you're
1: not on Google, Rob.
0: Yep,
3: solemn oath, not on Google. I'm actually heading back from the lake.
0: Right on. Hey, Uh, where where are you? Where?
3: What highway are you on? Uh, basically on uh, the Yellowhead. Number one, came back, come back from Clear Lake.
0: Give us a traffic report
3: while we got you on the air. Um, traffic's pretty solid. Um, I think we just passed by Niqwa, so. Things things looking good. Right things on. Everybody's it.
0: being safe. Okay,
3: give us the uh, Fab Five, Rob. All right, so we have Jalen Rose, Chris Webber, uh, Jawan Howard, Jimmy King,
11: and Jackson.
1: I. <laughs> do you remember? I said a name and then I couldn't remember his last name. Do you remember what name I said? Where I said where I tripped?
11: Uh, what? Who did you name? I know you named
1: Jawan. No, and no, I you didn't named Weber. I said Chris Weber, oh, Jalen Rose, and what? then I
3: said Ray. Oh, that would be Ray Jackson then. Uh, there you it's, go. You <laughs> got it, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Man, those guys were awesome. They used to, they are the ones that innovated the baggy uh baggy gym shorts. You betcha you the black Gotta socks. I love, love that fashion. Yeah,
0: the yeah. black socks. Hey uh, Rob, you like going to the movies? Um. Yeah, I think I could. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you think you could be convinced? Why don't you hang tight? Because yeah. uh, we usually give away uh, something at this time of the day, and today it's a movie pass. We'd like to give it to you. Okay, brother, hang tight. We'll get yeah, your I'm information. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, drive safe, and everybody out there coming home from the lake, whether you're on sixteen, seven, eight, nine, six, fifty-nine, one. Everybody heading in, uh, please be safe. If you see anything out there that we ought to know about, and you can do it safely. Give us a shout or shoot us a text, 780-6868-204.
1: We are going to give Rob two passes, a double movie pass for Stronger. This is happening September 20th at Scotiabank Theatre, Winnipeg, formerly known as Silver City Polar Park. It's based on a true story about a man who was caught in the Boston Marathon bombing. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as Jeff Bowman, who is a man waiting at the finish line with a big sign to greet his wife, He was at the line when the bomb went off on April fifteenth, 2013, and he lost his legs in the explosion. His wife is played in the film by Regina actress Tatiana Maslany, who has been the star of Orphan Black for the last five years. This looks like a great movie. It opens September twenty second. So, again, this program, Mackling and McGarry, will have passes for Stronger all week, and we're going to give those to our friend Rob, who just answered. That wasn't the question we had for today. So, uh... Hal Anderson is going to be in for us tomorrow, as we fill in for Shadow Davis for a couple of days. So Hal will be doing his own brand. I think he'll bring his tough trivia. I'm sure to give away more passes for. Yeah, stronger.
0: we're we're not as easy on you as Hal is, or no, Hal's. Less easy on you than we are yeah we, yeah
1: we try to make it easy for fans That's right We want to get that instant call Someone who really knows their stuff
0: We'll have Banjo Bowl tickets uh, to give away
1: uh, We gotta pause for a quick look at your forecast up next
0: Greg Macklin and Brett McGarry with you I'm trying to find the uh, GoldEye score here Last we heard of those, uh, was it one nothing for the Gold Eyes as they look to eliminate Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks. If they don't win today, they're going to have to play the Redhawks in the first round of the playoffs. And that's a huge rivalry for the Gold Eyes. And traditionally, it's not gone well for the Winnipeg <laughs> baseball team when they have to play Fargo-Moorhead in the playoffs. Uh, recent history uh, discluded.
1: We got a text message here. Before we get to our next topic, I just want to very quickly read you this text message. Hey, Greg and Brett. Here I am driving on US 212 in South Dakota. I cannot believe I can hear you guys. Either a strong signal or you guys are full of hot air. Which is it? I think it's a little bit of both. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, while we have you here on US 212, I want you... To revisit a topic here in case South you missed Dakota. it. On Friday, August 25th, the last day of Patio Palooza at Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's Road, Hal Anderson and I, Hal Anderson was filling in for Greg that day, and we got to meet two wonderfully interesting women, courtesy of a suggestion from a good friend of this radio station, Sylvia Marusik. Sylvia used to host a show on this station. She's often a guest on various shows. She's been a guest on our show. She gives us great suggestions for other guests as well. So one of those suggestions was. The Painters Cafe. It's a new business that just opened in June. It's at the corner of Plessies and Grassy in Transcona. Their website, thepainterscafe.com. So we interviewed the co-owners, who are also sisters, Michelle and Angie Zubrin, We want to play some of that again. Here's a few minutes of that chat.
10: Oh, the Painters Cafe is a dream come true for us. It's a creative place where we sell painted furniture. We sell custom hand-painted signs. We have a studio in the back where people can learn how to paint the furniture themselves. We have lots of classes where we teach them different techniques on how to use the chalk paint they we also have a wonderful lineup of pinterest projects coming up it's a a place where ladies are when they come and take a tour of our place they just love the studio they can't wait to bring their friends and sit there and enjoy an afternoon of painting projects and learning how to paint with the chalk paint
8: friday nights is our version of paint night so it's like, come on in. You don't have to have a lot of experience. We supply you with a functional, fun piece that you can paint and take home with you.
12: I was going to ask you that. So so if I c- want to just come, I don't need to bring anything. If I've got an old piece of furniture that I want to fix up, I'm welcome to bring it. But if not, you guys have stuff for me to buy and, and paint and clean up and fix up. Is that how it works? That's correct. That's cool. That is, that is great. And the
10: cool thing about this paint... Is that you do not have to sand, strip, or prime your furniture before you start painting? Oh, wow, I'm in. Paint right. (laughs) That's the hardest part. Right. You paint right over the varnish any old painted furniture already. People are going and buying particle board furniture and uh, really cheap quality furniture and giving away grandma's great old quality I know, furniture
12: i know and it's, it's
1: heartbreaking isn't it
10: yes and yeah. all it needs is a coat of paint and right back into their home decor it's just perfect
1: the is their website and when you go to it the first thing you see is a, a picture of what the cafe looks like and it's you've got all these old these neat old signs like where did you come up where did you get your hands on all this stuff like you've got one that says uh, sheriff's office for example <laughs>
10: Well, I've been a graphic designer my whole life, okay. and uh, Pinterest is a huge interest for me. So I go in there and I hunt around for great ideas, and my passion is to paint rustic signs on old barn board. We have lots and lots of cabin sign requests and also my own ideas like i had to quit my full-time job because my head was going to explode i needed <laughs> to get out and get these ideas painted so sheriff's office is just one of my own things out of my head but there's so many great ideas that people come in and say i'd like a sign for my cabin i want a And cartoon. so you'll
12: do the custom work oh, for absolutely. them as well if they aren't uh, artistically inclined oh or- yes it's yeah.
10: all hand
8: painted. There's no vinyling. There's no stenciling. It's all hand painted by Ange. Wow. All of the furniture is solid wood, one of a kind. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. It truly is.
10: So if people have an idea, I'll design it on the computer and then send them a proof through email, and it's just an okay process. And then uh, and then I get cracking with painting. Hmm.
12: Wow. It <laughs> right sounds now very cool. I've got
10: to paint a Beatles themed furniture, which I am just dying to do. What's that? I have to, uh, one of my clients wants a a beautiful old dresser for her rec room and she wants it Beatles themed. Really? So I'm going to um, put a large Beatles picture on the top and then do the Beatles logo on the front and distress it blacks and grays and... All that fun stuff.
12: Now, this can't be inexpensive, though. I mean, is is it significant uh, amounts of money to get you to do a piece like that, uh, Angie? Or huge money?
10: Come (laughs) on. No, but
11: I (laughs) know (laughs) the (laughs) worth my
10: time. I know the work
12: that goes into (laughs) stuff like this. So uh, 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 I'm just trying to trying to get a sense of what kind of cost is involved because
10: this is a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but it's it's very cheap for a person to buy the paint on their own and work on their projects at home gotcha we've had great success with our classes where women will come in and look at me with blank eyes and then by the end of the class they are excited because they get the the gist of how to work with chalk paint. So
12: you're there to advise them and help them along the way and
10: absolutely yes and the chalk paint I could I could cover an entire china cabinet with one can of paint and that's what surprises people is the longevity of how long the paint goes for, and it's right. really easy and lots of fun and super addictive. So the paint nights that you have, then, how do they? Uh, what's
1: different between what you folks do or, or host versus the, these wine and paint nights that have become kind of a, well, a trend in recent years?
8: Well, th- what we're looking to achieve is our paint nights are Fridays, and they are different than i i guess like a paint by number we're just bringing in a new medium we're bringing in wood wood projects Mm -hmm. uh functional pieces like we'll have a, a tote wine rack that you can put a couple glasses in there and a bottle of wine and we paint it all up and they have fun with it and uh we have for the fee you can drink my coffee you can drink my pop you can maybe even have a glass of wine in there we'll see how that goes (laughs) but it is it's just more or less you and your fun and your girls come on in and uh, either book the full night for eight girls or sign up and every every week we have a different project so it's if you can't make it for this day but we're having a wine rack on the first of um say the first friday of october but it doesn't come back up until first friday of december but it's going to repeat itself, right. so everybody has an opportunity to learn something new and take home something new. It's not going to be the same thing every yeah. week. We and want to keep it
10: fresh.
12: And you've been saying gals a lot or women a lot. Are guys <laughs> coming too, or is this primarily women that are coming to, to enjoy your place?
10: Well, we had one guy come to our chalk paint class, and his project was significantly different than all the ladies. All the ladies <laughs> had beautiful little beachy-looking projects <laughs> yeah. and really sweet and everything. But uh, forgive me, Chris. He painted something red and black and it was a box and it looked like you, you, the devil would keep your heart in there. And he, was so, he was so happy with it and it just looked evil, but he was so proud of it.
1: Maybe one of my favorite things anybody's ever said on this radio station. It looks like the devil would keep your heart in there. That was Michelle and Angie... <laughs> Zubrin, they are sisters and co-owners of The Painter's Cafe. It's a new business that's only been open a couple of months in Transcona. It's at Plessy and Grassy. Their website, thepainterscafe.com. Jackie and I heard that conversation, and uh, we couldn't turn it off. Yeah. It's close to us,
0: and that's the sort of thing that uh, Jackie and a bunch of her friends like to do. So thanks for bringing that to the airwaves, and Hal will be in uh, this spot for us tomorrow, 1 till 4, as we step in for Shadow Davis from 6 a.m., Brett. There's a 6 a.m., you know that, right? Till 10.
1: Yeah, that's when I like to go to bed. (laughs) I'm aware. That's why I'm (laughs) emphasizing. Uh, We'll hear from Richard and Julie to find out what's coming up in the news after we check traffic and weather next.
0: The Winnipeg Blue Bombers appear to be... Not the only team getting hammered by their natural geographic rivals. 26-6, to six, the Calgary Stampeders leading the Edmonton Eskimos at halftime, the second half just underway. And uh, that would be a third straight loss for the previously undefeated Edmonton Eskimos. So the, Well,
9: it's not over yet.
0: It's over. The Calgary Stampeders are so good. They pretty much score at will against all teams, and I suspect... Uh, 52 to 12, doubling the score. Yeah, that's not all the question.
9: Okay, so Edmund,
0: did you just pack up and go home? So They it's should great go home, like... it's all it's They're done. It's they're over. completely okay. done. Hi, Julie. Uh, hi, hi, Julie. Hi, Julie. Hi, guys. How's it going thought it Labor nice Day? I you were nice to me. I was. It was nice. Okay. Just it, I'm expressing my opinion. It doesn't yes. mean I'm not being nice. I'm disagreeing with you. Uh, I, I means... didn't.
9: I'm not disagreeing. Anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You'd like to. Do it. No. I... Do it. It's our last chance to do this for a little while.
9: Oh, you're saying I can't join you in the morning sometime to say
0: hello? Well, if you're up that early, you're more than welcome to come on the show whenever you want. I could do that.
1: Okay. We'll see you then.
0: What
1: what are
9: you what's going on, on today? What are you saying, Brett?
3: What do you have coming up in the news, Julie?
9: Uh, I'll let uh, Richard fill you in.
3: Hi, Richard. What do you have coming up on the news? Hey, guys, lots going on. Ron Hambly of the Winnipeg Construction Association is going to join us after the four o'clock news. They have been, um, last time we talked to him, there was a slowdown in construction and fewer jobs available. But you look around this city, there's lots going on. So the summer that was and the fall that will be, a little bit later on, we'll also uh, chat with uh, Dan Kelly, president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business They are working hard behind the scenes and now in front of the scenes to get these liberal tax changes changed entirely. Liberals are meeting on this and they're facing a lot of opposition from groups right across the country on this. And of course, the big announcement out of London today, Julie.
9: Yes, another royal baby is on the way, and we'll let you know how you could help a local family that has lost everything after a devastating house fire. I believe in the Elmwood neighborhood. So we've got a neighbor that's coming on that's collecting some some donations and we'll do they have kids they do
0: okay what yeah. time what time are you having them on 6
9: six 15 we'll okay. have her on We'll keep
0: a, a close eye on that maybe we we'll maybe we will replay that
9: okay. tomorrow morning
1: thinking That's of well, if you'll that for us yeah, okay. ringtone here Perfect. that we need to do what? for him. what's
0: that what are you doing well Oh,
1: be
9: that one's up.
0: too soft.
1: Calgary scored, by the way, Greg. Yeah, I know. It's 32 to 6. Brett's Julie, what was that saying about Edmonton still has a morning.
0: chance?
9: Radar. Radar is the most annoying alarm. Trust me, I used to have three set when I did mornings.
0: How about this?
1: What? I have multiple alarms that go off. I it's a it's a cacophony of alarms,
0: Richard. <laughs> if if Brett's alarm does not go off tomorrow morning, I'm going to blame you on the air. <laughs> and I'll be calling you at four thirty to come in and fill in for Brett if he's fast asleep <laughs> when his alarm goes off. What what time are you time setting it for? About two forty five. Two, two. Wow, yeah. that's
9: really early. I you're did dedicated. mornings for a long this time. Is, I never got up at This is
0: why I love working with this guy. <laughs> Pure dedication. Love it. Yeah. By the way. No
3: call. <laughs> Been there, done that.
0: He'll <laughs> start at
9: two today by the you know, day two. Well,
0: what does it doesn't mean I will be like call, You might
1: yeah. not
3: answer, but I'll be calling. No.
1: It, it'll uh, yeah, it'll, the alarms will start. I said they'll start going off at two. Oh, I didn't yeah. say it'll get up at two, but that's when the alarm that's when I'd, the first of, of many alarms will Oh, So you're go one off.
9: of those. I was one of those two the years that I did mornings, uh I was I was a set and give myself, you know, another one in fifteen minutes and another one in half an hour. Not and but I know other people that was like set it and then I get up.
0: Yeah, I, I try You're to one do. of those
9: you set it and you get up.
0: Yeah. Maybe one snooze, he'll maybe he'll one be snooze. Very cheery tomorrow. Morning. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, Richard.
1: Yeah, I'm grumpy at the best of times. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> what they Gucci. don't know,
0: what they nobody knows is I'm bringing beer tomorrow morning. Who will stop at the vendor fruit on fruit the way beer. here <laughs> because it'll be open, it'll still be open. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: Uh, torque. All right, that's all the time we have. I'm Brett, he's Greg. Hal Anderson in for us tomorrow as we sit in for Shadow Davis on the Shadow Davis Show. I'm going Um, home to bed now. Yeah, same here. Thanks to Jeff Fortier. We're going to miss you the next couple of days here, buddy.
11: I'm
4: going to miss you too.
3: Okay. Thanks, Jeff. All right, the news is up next.